All right, welcome back to the Davis Fitness Method podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, and today we're going to be going over the hamstrings. The hamstrings, for those of you that don't know, are basically the bicep of the of the leg. They're on the backside of your leg. It's that little lump when you try to curl your leg behind you that kind of forms. And if it doesn't form, we're going to show you how you can actually go about doing that. So, few points. There's um, three main bicep um, muscles that make up the hamstring. And we're going to go over all of them. The main things to know is that the hamstrings kind of like, they activate the final like 20% of the swing phase, which is basically like where that leg is starting to go back, um, generating like extension force at the hip and they resist knee extension. Um, they also play an essential role in stabilizing the knee joint. They operate in tandem with your ACL. So they help to stabilize the knee and then they resist anterior translation, which is like basically forward sliding forces uh, of the uh, tibia during the heel strike phase, which is basically when your heel hits the ground while you're um, walking or running. And uh, they're responsible for some level of stability at the pelvis, given its direct attachments to the pelvis. So we're going to go over these three heads. And one of them, one of the heads is kind of two, or one of the muscles is kind of two um, separate ones. They do very similar things. So let's start. You have your biceps femoris, which is going to be the most outside uh, portion of that uh, hamstring and the short head, which uh, which um, originates at the lateral lip of the linea aspira, and it inserts um, on the fibular head and the lateral condyle of the tibia, uh, which means it comes down to uh, basically the uh, the what would be like what where you would be like where your calf is around the area where your calf is, where it meets around your calf, um, just outside. And then uh, the long head, which attaches or, or originates at the ischial tuberosity, which we would think of as like the bottom of the pelvis. Um, and then the short head's main job is to bend or flex your knee and uh, laterally rotate your tibia, which would be like to turn your, your toe or your foot kind of out less the the actual foot itself but more the actual shin bone and then the long head its job is the same thing um except it's uh also responsible for some level of like driving that leg behind you so what we talked about hip extension in terms of like the actual function so paying attention to these sorts of things we can begin to learn like what's important for the muscle as we train it through like a point A to point B um, sort of manner, or we can look at it from like how it's useful for maybe rehab or uh, sport. We want to look at it in all these different ways, which is why it would be important to know why, where something originates and where it attaches, and then what, what are like some of the main takeaways from there. Next one is like your semitendinosis. Uh, which is going to be like the middle of the hamstring. So if we're moving from left to right on the backside, this one's going to be directly in the middle. 
um, its origin, which is where it's like basically the the top portion uh, is going to be the lower medial surface surface of the ischial tuberosity. So very similar to um, where the long head of the biceps femoris attaches. Very similar, um, but slightly different, moving a bit more to the middle. And then it inserts also on that uh, medial tibia. Its job is very similar. Uh, you'll see they're all pretty similar. There's just some minor nuances in terms of uh, what they will do. So this one also flexes the knee, extends the hip, and then it does medial rotation um, instead of lateral rotation of the tibia. And this is with knee flexion. And then the last one is going to be your semimembranosus, which again, uh, originates at the ischial tuberosity and then it inserts on the medial tibial condyle and its job is knee flexion hip extension medial rotation of the tibia with the knee flexed okay so what's important to know about about the hamstring and where uh, we're going to train it for the most part is when is it fully shortened when is it uh, in mid-range and when is it fully lengthened so a lot of the times when we see people training the hamstrings uh, a large percentage of the time it's going to be through this lengthened end range so like your typ your typical like seated leg curl um, you're sitting there with your hip flexed um, in a chair and then you kind of curl your leg from that position that is a fully stretched hamstring which would make it fully lengthened so um, not that it's a bad position to train it's just the one that most people pay the most attention to and then if you were to look at like a rdl for example that is essentially the same lengthened portion of the strength curve so if we went from doing seated hamstring leg curls to then doing rdls we're effectively getting a very similar stimulus and we're not working much through that mid and shortened uh length uh end ranges so the opposite of a fully flexed hip would be a fully extended hip so if we looked at something like a a prone hamstring curl so there's like machines where you lie on your stomach um, and then we want to get control of the pelvis there so that when we're on our stomach a lot of people are doing that leg curl this is going to be your shortened end range hamstring right when they do that leg when they do that position they end up kind of arching their back and because we know like if i have if I have my pelvis here and the hamstring is basically attaching down onto that that tibia, as I go to bring my tibia closer to this hamstring, if my hip rocks up, they don't necessarily get closer together. What we want is this stays still, your, your pelvis stays still, and then that tibia gets closer while that knee is flexing to that pelvis. So you actually would have a shortening effect here. Whereas if that pelvis is constantly moving the points are kind of moving away from each other um, kind of just keeping it in the middle effectively and not necessarily getting it more tension across that range so the main things that we want to consider because like we said part of the hamstring or the ability to put tension on that hamstring based on its attachments is keeping that pelvis still so getting into a fully shortened hamstring yes we do want that hip extended behind us but we also want to make sure, or we want to make sure that that leg is further back 
we also want to make sure that that pelvis and our back aren't necessarily moving. Like what's happening at our pelvis is is going to be kind of indicated on like the level the level of lumbar uh, extension we're getting so far. Low back begins to arch. That would probably be a strong tell that your pelvis is dumping forward. Because if I am just looking at somebody and I could see like here's their back when it's neutral, it's nice and flat. And then if that pelvis, which would be on one end of the lumbar spine, started to like collapse or create this arch, then we know, okay, the pelvis is probably like dropping into anterior pelvic tilt, which means it's just kind of rolling forward. That's going to put more, more, more or less, it's going to put tension onto that lower back. And we're not necessarily putting greater amounts of tension on the hamstring. So in terms of getting into a fully shortened position, that's one thing that we want to pay attention to. So it's not just getting the leg in a certain spot. It's actually making sure that we are able to greater contract that muscle when it's there. And then as for mid-range, we're looking at something between a fully flexed hip and a fully extended one. So instead of my I think fully flexed is like if my knee, the closer my knee is to my chest, the greater that is up, the more um, length I'm going to get on that hamstring. And the further my leg is back, um, so like closer to standing or further behind us, even extended behind us, that's going to be more lengthened. So anything where our leg is kind of in the middle, um, that's going to be more mid-range hamstring. So um, you might think... uh, maybe like a split squat um, or like even some squat patterns, you're going to get a little bit more into that hamstring. So it's like, even though you might finish in a lengthened position, if you're squatting, you start standing, but the tension doesn't start to come on until you're like getting closer into the bottom there. And then as you come back up, you're, you're somewhere in the mid range. That's where tension comes on. So lots of these exercises like split squat or leg press or, um, any of those sorts of patterns that are um, moving the entire leg, um, you're going to get some quad. You're going to get hamstrings. You're going to get adductors. You're going to get glutes. And then we can do certain things to try to leverage certain positions. Um, So just kind of looking at the attachment points that we have and the functions of the hamstrings, we can get a better idea of how we're going to put tension on to that leg and because we know that the hamstrings are responsible for like that last 25 percent of swing phase trying to get that leg to extend back behind us we know that it's important for us to be able to extend our hip so we also need to know what does a healthy hip look like how can we make sure that we're maximizing our ability to extend that hip in order to get the most out of those hamstrings. So a healthy hip would would be able to rotate inward and extend back. Because if our if our leg is um, let's say turned turned out, so our toes were kind of pointing out, the hamstring's not in a great position to extend the hip. Um, and you're likely not getting much hip extension. Um, if our feet are turned out you're more likely to only extend to a certain degree. Um, You might get to zero, but you're not getting that last bit of extension through the hamstrings 
you're kind of just like waddling or swinging your legs around. They don't necessarily go back or travel through. We want to make sure that our leg can go back. And it, now if it can't, um, we'd want to go about addressing that, whether it's through strength or it's through like passive restriction. So passive restriction would be like an actual mobility issue. We need to stretch it. Whereas if we're just not leveraging the, the proper tissue to put force into the ground, because we like to stay on the outsides of our feet, um, that's going to limit our ability to get the hip behind us, which is going to limit our ability to put tension on the hamstrings. So we want to see how well can I drive that foot into the ground? If your toes are constantly wiggling and you're kind of barely holding on and we're like rocked onto the outside of our feet and back onto our heels, we're relying on our structure a bit more. And now it's not that we don't. And when I say structure, we're thinking like all of the bony attachments um, or all of the bony like landmarks, basically our bones, our bones and the things that attach bones to bones are going to be more structurally oriented. So your ligaments and bones are going to be the biggest things that we are considering structurally. Um, we are going to use those things. We just don't want to put all of the force through those things. We want muscles to help pull us through those ranges, or we want muscles to help um, make sure that those things are going into the right places so that the tension moves to them instead of to the joint structure. All right, here's a good example. You have a door hinge, and when it functions properly, um, you don't put a ton of stress on the door hinges, right? If I just open the door, it swings open, and I just close it, like just if I just, just horizontal forces, just in and out. Now, if I started to pull up or down on the door while trying to move it horizontally, we're going to put more stress onto the door's hinges instead of the way that it's intended to function, which is just horizontally. So making sure that we aren't applying forces up and down when something is is supposed to be moving forward and backward is going to limit how much we actually put forces on the joints or the structure. So by making sure we're moving properly, we put stress on things that actually adapt like muscles and tendons. And we put less on things like ligaments and bones. Okay. Now, when we're, we're thinking about, let's say rep ranges, this is going to be very similar to how we would consider things that we do at all. Um, muscles. So like in our shortened and lengthened end ranges, we're going to want to do more of those higher repetitions, 10 plus reps. Um, and just because again, the muscle is in a less stable position, it is not going to um, be able to handle loads as well. I will say there are some um, exceptions to this. So the hamstrings are in a lengthened position during like our RDLs. And due to the amount of other things contracting to help keep things in, in, in the appropriate spots, like I'm holding a barbell, I bend over. There are so many muscles aside from my hamstrings trying to keep things in, in place that it makes the movement pretty strong. Whereas when I'm sitting uh, in the chair and I'm just isolating the hamstring with the like seated hamstring curl, 
that one's probably going to do a you know a, a fair it it would do a fair it would do fairly well in a lower rep range um, but it's also going to do well in a higher rep range the hamstrings because we use them um, so much during like things like sprinting and stuff they are probably going to be on the lower end of a higher rep range in those shorter and lengthened uh, positions um, I just wouldn't um, they don't need to be the same as a bicep we just want to treat the shortened lengthened and ranges respectively higher than in a mid-range position so like a mid-range position we could probably load them even heavier um than in the shortened and lengthened but they don't necessarily need to be um like 12 or more 10 or greater they can they can go a little lower than that just understanding that we can in those shortened and lengthened positions we aren't going to be as strong as when we're in the mid-range so when we're looking at our our loading patterns just knowing that when we are in mid-range like a squat that's going to look a little bit different than when i'm doing a i'm not i'm not going to one rm my or one rep max my prone hamstring leg curl right and it's also just going to be a harder it's just going to be harder to put the keep the pelvis in a good spot make sure that i'm getting um force in through to the ground when i'm in a lengthened position so those are just some things that i would pay attention to the fact that it is going to be largely more fast twitch that muscle um exhausts more quickly and uh thus recovers more slowly you're probably going to want to stick to slightly higher rest times than something like a bicep or something like your erectors or abs things that are going to uh move quick and fast and thus move heavier loads largely need longer rest periods i think this is also going to be you're also going to need to consider how much time um, we're spending in these positions so if we are doing something on like a high repetition and range so if we were doing 13 to 17 repetitions you're going to need less rest than if you did like six or five so we just want to make sure that we are resting long enough uh, for however many repetitions we prescribed if we are doing something on the heavier end then you're going to want to probably rest like two minutes plus uh, maybe two to five minutes depending on how heavy you go and then if you were doing something where you're like 13 or greater probably rest anywhere from 45 to 60 seconds um now in terms of frequency i would say i i i would say that the hamstrings would likely take a little bit longer uh, to recover than something like your biceps or triceps so um again you could probably train them up to three times in a in a week um, but typically it's going to be like 48 to 72 hours between sessions depending on the intensity um, of that session to determine whether or not you're going to train it again i would say you're probably going to be pretty good at getting a tremendous amount of tension given the amount of weight that the hamstrings can handle on those hamstrings 
Um, so I would give yourself a little bit more rest to start. And then if you wanted to move to greater frequencies, you could. However, so long as we're getting greater than, I would say, if we're at about 10 sets uh, per muscle per week, um, and then we get adequate recovery between sessions, the frequency is less important. What matters is the total amount of stimulative sets an entire week. And just like we mentioned during the podcast with Eric Bujera, we know that when we're not getting good quality reps, we can always add more volume. So we always have the option to throw on more and more and more and more sets, right? But that might not necessarily be important to do. What we might want to do is focus on the quality and the execution of those movements, and then we might need less. So as you become more well-skilled, your ability to put tension on the muscle goes up, well, the amount of sets that you might require might go down because if somebody's doing something and let's say we know largely that this, uh, the function of the hamstrings is to like curl that leg. If I'm doing a really terrible job at curling that leg, um, it's going all kinds of different directions. Well, my ability to put meaningful tension on a specific spot on the hamstrings goes way down. So in absence of being able to get tension in that one spot, well, I can just keep adding more sets and more reps. And then eventually I might get more tension across that fiber or more of those. If I throw enough darts at the board, I'm going to hit the bullseye a few times, right? So even though it's going all over the place, I'm more likely to hit where I'm trying to go with more given reps. Now, instead of throwing more darts, if you just got better at hitting the bullseye, you need to throw less darts to get more points. So instead of throwing 10 darts, I can throw six darts and I got three bullseyes. That's going to be more meaningful in terms of what's going to help you grow than just throwing more darts at the board. So if we can get a better control of our pelvis, keeping that in a good spot to get tension, if we can get better at being able to distribute force that actually allows our hip to extend properly so if we can get that internal rotation and be able to extend that hip properly that's going to do more for you than just doing more reps however we know just doing more reps also works so in in short of all that uh, a lot of people there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding the hamstrings um, how to go about training them there are some people who they want to uh, point the toe when they're doing leg curls. They want to um, dorsiflex when they're doing leg curls. Um, so, like, if my toe is up towards me, the calf crosses that backside of the knee, and so does the hamstring, right? Because the hamstring comes down to the tib, and then the calf comes up into the femur. Uh, we want to, I, I would say exhaust your options with that knee dorsi or that ankle dorsiflex so that toe up towards you just because it's going to help support uh the structure or the integrity of that knee which is what they're both kind of there to do um pointing the toe even though it might feel like it's getting more work on the hamstring 
um, because you're kind of disadvantaging your calf's ability to support the knee in that position. While it might feel harder, is not necessarily going to do more to stimulate the hamstrings. So pointing those those toes during your hamstring leg curls is not going to be super important. Um, now, in terms of uh, how much you want the hamstrings to contribute in a given exercise, some people will even, um, when you're doing your RDLs, for example, uh, they'll have you, before you go down, uh, they want you to rotate your pelvis forward because this puts the hamstrings into length and thus you'll get a deeper stretch at the bottom. Now, the thing is, is that the hamstrings can only stretch so far. So if I was doing an RDL and I start with my back a little arched, um, I'm going to get um, more hamstring to, to some degree depending on the level of that arch. Um, so like if my back is extremely arched, I arch it to... Uh, the best of my capacity by like dumping my pelvis forward. If I do that to the max, well, first my hamstrings are already a little bit stretched. And so as I go down and so even though they're stretched, they're not stretched against meaningful load. There's no load on them just yet. So as I go through that stretch, yes, there's now uh, tension on those hamstrings and I reach the full length of those hamstrings early, but the movement's not over. So people will go further down um, and stop probably around just like where they're where they meet their shins, where their hands meet their shins. Um, but now you've you've just got more length on your adductors. The adductors are also responsible for extending the hip. So when you went to hit the target of your hamstrings by rocking that pelvis forward, you did a little bit too much, and now you're getting more adductor. And it's not that you're not getting hamstring; it's just that. If we wanted to put the most tension on the hamstrings, we'd probably reduce that arch a bit. And now if we if we started with like a, a fully tucked pelvis, we're probably going to get, uh, or so like where my pelvis is rocked back, where that low back arch is a bit more neutralized, we're probably going to get more glutes there. So some place in between those two points with the pelvis is where we want to be to get the most on the hamstrings. So things where our leg is a little bit more fully extended are going to probably call the hamstrings a bit more into play versus things that um, have the knee like fully bent because we know a function up, even though a function of the hamstrings is flexing that knee, if we're already in that knee bent position as we're working into something, we're probably going to work a bit more into our glutes um, or quads depending on the direction um, that our knee is traveling. If we move back more into our hip, if we move forward into our knee. This is the subject of another podcast, but when we go into like quads and glutes and stuff like that, because I promise you, we will go into all of these. Uh, I'm not just doing just the things that have bicep in their name. All right. Um, I think we've covered a lot. Now, in terms of uh, maybe uh, reasons that you would train your hamstrings uh, other than just having a really sexy leg, um, like we said, uh, how they're responsible for stabilizing the pelvis so um, it, or stabilizing our knee. If I was having issues with my knee, um, or like the back side of the knee, the front side of the knee, 
uh, just because of how good it is at stabilizing that knee joint. Um, that is particularly important reason to train the hamstrings. And if we focus on its ability to do those things, we'll have a, we'll have better outcomes when it comes to trying to grow them. So if we're noticing that we're having a, um, a hard time, um, resisting, you know, force when we're like heel striking. Um, so like when that heel hits the ground, maybe we want to do more things where our heel is hitting the ground. So like a walking lunge or a front foot elevated, uh, split squat. Now, a lot of, a lot of the tension is going to go onto the back quad as we're, um, we're coming down because we end up in a more upright position. But in order to extend that front leg on the way up, we're going to need our hamstrings and we're going to need some direct heel pressure. So it, it isn't necessarily like that's going to be the best one for growing the hamstrings, but it's going to be something that helps you learn to stabilize that knee joint, direct forces into your heel and stabilize that pelvis as we're going through that exercise. So paying attention to those things is incredibly important and um, finding things that you can do on one leg, like single leg deadlifts. Single leg deadlifts require tremendous amount of stability from the pelvis, from the hip. Um, they're going to really tell you how well you are at keeping tension on your hamstrings and getting forces from the ground up into your hip, from your hip down into the ground. Because if you're, if you stand on that one leg and you go to do a single leg deadlift and that foot's all over the place, you, I, I promise you, you're probably not getting that much tension on your hamstrings during other exercises, except when you're strapped into a contraption or a machine that forces you to just flex your knee, right? And we don't want to just get good at hamstring work that just has us bend our leg. We want to have, we want to be good at hamstring work when we're free in space and using that properly so that we take some of that tension off of our knee joints um, and just live better lives, you know? Um, there's a lot more to talk about in terms of hamstrings. Again, I feel like these are probably the largest key points. As we start, maybe as we start to do these Q&As, more things stand out to you that you want me to talk about, we can talk about them in Q and A's. And if I feel as we're going through any one of these and we're getting more questions that pop up, uh, that we need to make another episode on any of these muscle groups, we will, but I just need some feedback from you. So if you have anything for me, let me know if you liked the podcast, be sure to share it. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and I appreciate your time. I'll catch you on the next one.